I truly hope you are ready for this one today, Soul Fam. Welcome to Ceremony Circle Podcast. I'm your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles. And today, wow, just wow, super powerful time with one of the most genuine souls I have ever known, Dr. Nita Bushan. Now, Nita's life story is truly unforgettable. She has traversed some of the deepest and most challenging experiences in life, many of them happening before she was even reaching adulthood. And along with so generously walking us through those most personal stories, she shares incredible career and business tips, telling you why she left her dental business, arguably the most successful dental practice in Chicago, she also left behind a multi-million dollar home and lifestyle and how she found her way from that life to her true path as an angel investor, a mom, a best-selling author, a global change maker and speaker. And she's also co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute. It's an institute I truly believe in. It's a 16-week deeply transformational certification program where you can become a Dharma certified coach or a spiritual life coach, and you discover what your sole purpose is and learn how to create a thriving business where you can help others learn what their true calling is. So if this is already resonating, I suggest you jump on it. Go to dharmacoachinginstitute.com and be sure to use the code word Allison. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N, my first name, Allison, at checkout when you get registered for this season's certified class. Because when you do that and use that code of Allison, you'll get a free video shamanic journey that I lead for you to meet your current power animal, but you will also get a free shamanic meditation to help you unlock even more of your soul's purpose and power. Now, registration for Dharma Coaching Institute is only open now through November 7th. That is it, and last time they sold out in just a few days. You'll get interactive weekly lessons, live calls, peer coaching. You'll get Dharma principles, tools, and practices for abundance and success. So it's important that you use the code word Allison, A-L-Y-S-O-N, at checkout when you register for Dharma Coaching Institute, and you'll get those two free shamanic journeys. And remember, it is only now through November 7th that you can get registered and then you will be on your way to knowing what your dharma is and supporting others and finding theirs. Now, in the rest of this episode with Nita, she also shares how to get over your fear of failure, how to stop hiding your imperfections, why there's actually treasures when you reveal them, and what her global success study revealed. After speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people across the planet, she reveals what two things are the fundamental roots for being able to thrive unapologetically. So this episode brought me to tears. It lit me up and elated me. I'm still in awe of her beauty and power. So I ignite this fire and welcome you to sit now with me and Dr. Nita Bushan. So it's super meaningful to have you here with me today, sister. Thank you. I am so honored. I'm so excited. Ah, there's so much ground to cover because, <laughs> you know, the first time I met you, I felt instant sister, just really felt such a instant respect and yeah, just an honoring energy towards you. I think I could tell you're someone who has traversed a lot of waters in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. And yet I was, um, 
I was really wanting to cover what some of those waters are until today. So even though we've gone on walks and had your baby shower (laughs) and all those things, I'm like, don't ask her about all the stuff you want to ask her. Wait for ceremony circles. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's all been building for today. And in feeling in, I would love, I just kept getting pulled to India, even in that moment right before we started this. And I was just taking a second to get back in my heart and get grounded again, I got pulled over to India. Mm. So I would love to start there and just learn a little bit about what was it like growing up there? Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never really chatted with someone whose childhood was was based over there. And I, I mean, and I've actually never been there. Luke has. Oh, okay. He has such an ancient connection. Oh my goodness. Loves India so much. And I want to learn about it. So oh my God. what's it like? Well, so I mean, uh, my so my father was born and raised there. And uh, like his entire side was born and raised. Um, he was born in Patiala, which is in Punjab, which is the northern part of India, and was raised in Delhi. And so then he came to the U.S. as a pen pal of <laughs> these women who were from, yeah, it's a crazy story. These women who were like backpacking from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And my father, uh, so a little backstory, my grandfather was the ambassador to UNICEF. And Mm. so spent a lot of time overseas in Afghanistan. And uh, he even came to the US all over, even in Russia. So, and my, after he passed away, he left land to my father and, you know, six of his brothers and sisters. Mm. And my father ended up wanting to have nothing to do with it. Mm. Um, He wanted to travel and he wanted to like be, he was a seeker and a spiritual seeker. And a lot of his seeking led him to Nepal, Kathmandu. And so, and that's kind of where he actually opened up a bar. <laughs> so random. And these women who were traveling across India ended up in Nepal. Um, they exchanged, you know, addresses back in the day when you actually wrote letters to people. I remember. <laughs> I'm old enough. I remember these times. You probably do. <laughs> and yeah, you guys, so the, it's so bananas <laughs> when we think about it. But he wrote letters consistently for about a year to his pen pal, Nancy. Nancy, shout out to Nancy. Nancy, wherever you are, woman. Right. (laughs) Thanks for bringing my father over. So yeah, so she sponsored my father as an entrepreneur. And so he came to Madison, Wisconsin. And that's how he began his journey uh, wow. to the state. So, so yeah, so he he ended up the coldest place, you know, from like uh, uh, amazing warmer weather in, in South Asia to Wis- Madison, Wisconsin, and then settled in Chicago. Okay. And that's where he met my mother, who was an immigrant from the Philippines. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but we, we definitely grew up, um, obviously, in Chicago, but going back to India um, almost uh, annually. And yeah. that's where I would spend, you know, summers and and things. But yeah, so some of my fondest and earliest memories was just going back. Mm. Did you feel, do you remember, because maybe the first time you went, you were a little girl, but um, as far back as your memory goes, do you recall that first time that you went there? And do you 
remember feeling an instant connection to the energy, the land, the culture? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I, I remember, and you met, you met her, uh, my, my aunt, uh, she's kind of like my mama bear. This is my dad's, um, youngest sister, okay. uh, who he actually brought over to, to the States with him and they're so close. And so, uh, she would take me so she took me when I was first three years old. So it was her and I. Oh, beautiful. So that wow, was you guys like, have such a history. We do. We do. And she's because we've had, we've traversed many waters, as you say. But we actually, I recall specifically when I was three years old going to one of the sacred temples. And I don't remember where. It was, I think it was probably because it was really, really cold. So I remember we're walking and I remember crying because she's like, you know, put your feet in the water mm. and it, it's like a cooling, you know, this, this water is like freezing. It's not hot springs. <laughs> no, it's not hot springs <laughs> at all. And everyone is like pilgrimaging to this amazing temple there to get blessings. Mm. And so my first, you know, feeling was, okay, I'm doing this like cold plunge, but I was just crying on my way up there, even though like now, you know, kind of thinking back, there's all of these women like just putting flowers and marigolds in the water mm -hmm. and people would come from like miles and miles and miles to just get blessings from this one temple. But I remember vividly just having, you know, a, a three-year-old meltdown mm -hmm. and my aunt's at the healing like, temple. at the healing temple. <laughs> but you had to take, so horses to go up Yes, to the temple. So that's what I'm trying to remember. Like, where was it? Wow. I, I don't think it was like, I think maybe it was like by Kashmir, which is up north where a lot of the, the trouble spots are. But I don't think it was in that area, but it was definitely north in the mountains because wow. you had to take horses just to get up there. And um, the roads were so like thinking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, my parents would have probably freaked out knowing that their three-year-old child is like going up to, you know, get to this right. amazing temple. How interesting that she felt really clear or inspired whatever was behind the motivation to take you, you know, like she wanted to take you to this temple. I'm so yeah. curious about that. Yeah, no, and and I- Is she I, spiritual? Or? She is, she's spiritual. She always has been. Um, there's uh, uh, many gurus that she actually introduced me to. Mm. So we have a, there's a Sai Baba that we, um, one of the spiritual gurus that I grew up just learning so much about. But uh, back in Chicago, my parents actually got married at a Hare Krishna temple. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and my mom was from the Philippines. And so it was a very, my dad kind of infused a lot of spirituality to my aunt. So we would go off and visit a lot of these different types of places. So I remember with my aunt, we would go to, you know, a mosque. Um, mm -hmm. And amazingly enough in India, there's so many different incredible places to visit, you know, holy, sacred that, uh, you know, that infuse different energies. So, so beautiful. So, so yeah, so that's kind of been really a part of kind of the upbringing, but also with my parents getting married at a Hare Krishna temple, because back in the day, right. Uh, in, in the eighties in Chicago, there wasn't really the, there, there wasn't a lot of that happening in right. the Midwest. And the only thing close to that was the Hare Krishna temple. So, so that's kind of where, and it was five minutes from my home growing up. 
And so not that we were Hare Krishnas right. by any means, but there was like a familiar energy or some sort of Well, yeah, you still had the rituals, yep. you still had the pujas, you still had the arthis, which um my dad was really big on. My mom was hardcore Catholic. Okay. And so um so she brought in a lot of, you know, just you're gonna go to traditional dogma and learn all about that. So did you grow up going to a church sometimes? Um yeah. Actually, every every Sunday, so it would be it would be a lot, you guys. It would be Sundays church and CCD. Is that what? I, yeah, CCD. The, the the you have to go to like this. Um, I think yeah, it's like a Catholic ceremony okay. where you go through to uh, get your confirmation. So oh. we would do that with my brothers every Sunday. But then on Tuesdays, my dad would fast. <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> my dad would fast, and he would be sitting in meditation. And and like, you know, chanting uh, the chants, he would chant a lot of bhajans mm. and he had his um, altar and praying area, mm, beautiful. which we would, I remember as a kid running into his room and smelling the, oh, smelling the, you know, the incense and the agarbati and, uh, and we would be jumping around on the bed. Like I, I was the oldest of um, my, my two younger brothers, but we would take like, you know, the beads and he had several of them, right? Like and the malas? Just, yes, the mala beads. Okay. And we would just run around, <laughs> just like, and my dad is like hardcore in this like chant and prayer. And I know pro- now I have my own children. And so I can only imagine he probably wanted to like, there were a few times where we we really interrupted him and he was like, you know, just <laughs> screaming and telling us, get out of the room. The other know? times he's like, they are my teachers. This is my teaching moment. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. But he would sit there on Tuesdays for an hour. I mean, probably more Mm. when we were going through some hard times, but Mm -hmm. that was, uh, that was some Uh, of the fun, fun times. It's so beautiful. (laughs) I mean, I can attest like chanting mantras has been a practice that is woven in, in and out of my life for many, many years. And there were definitely phases where it was my main go-to practice And it's Mm -hmm. so powerful, so activating, so medicinal in so many different ways, because obviously each mantra represents different, you know, teachings and energies and all of that. And I just love that picture of your home being filled with the, that medicine and the sense and your culture and, and what a service your father did for the whole family, Mm -hmm. you know, because that chant envelops everyone in there. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And it was mostly Ohm. Mm. which is uh, funny enough. Um, yeah. Now redefining what my ritualistic practices are as a mama of two, right. um, just even going back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's neat too. I just had a slight reflection, um, having met your wonderful husband, Ajit a number of times and sitting out in your backyard, asking him, I forget now. And I feel so silly not remembering, um, his, the name of his religion. And how- yeah. So it's, it's Jainism actually yes. Jain. So Jainism is, uh, and it's so beautiful. I'm even learning a lot about it. We actually just had, it's one of the main holidays and I don't like to call it a holiday because it's more so a practice that happens every year. And it's so beautiful because they take a week where they're actually just self-cleansing. And they're uh, usually they're in parts of India, in Rajasthan and in Gujarat. So almost the center, kind of like a little bit north. 
And yeah, they come from like the Buddhist lineage. And so it's a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism. And so Jains kind of have their saints, but every year uh, they have this practice where they go for a week where they're um, not eating anything and they're you know, spiritually cleansing, cleansing everything. Um, and they're, they're only eating what's in the palm of their hands, mm. just kind of as an offering. Mm-hmm. And everything is clean, you know, just pulses, lentils, um, rice, but really just kind of- um, A couple bites. Just a couple, yeah. Just a couple bites. For this time period, they're not even drinking water. Oh, wow. For some of the sages who are really practicing this. And the whole idea is, you know, in the year we we make mistakes. In the year we probably say things to people, trigger others, or say things that we don't mean. Mm-hmm. And we get into, you know, just like family dynamics things. And so this time of the year is a time to kind of cleanse that mm. and to start fresh and to start new. And this just happened actually over the weekend oh, where on that last day, we say Machami Dukkaram. So Machami Dukkaram means, you know, please forgive me uh, for everything that I may have done, I may not have done, I may have intentionally said, I may not have intentionally said to harm, to cause harm to you. Mm. Please forgive me. I forgive you. And let's start over. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful practice. So that actually happened not too, oh. a couple couple days ago. So, That's so yeah. so powerful. It's so powerful to be able to have that restart button and kind of, you know, evolve in a new way, right? Yeah. Every day we have the choice to, to choose. Are we going to take whatever we have from the past or kind of roll it over? And especially mm. in family dynamics where there are a lot of those triggers mm-hmm. already that I think it's such a great practice and a great ritual that the Janes do. And that's that's part of my my husband's culture. So nice. And it's it's cool how in your growing up household with your mom and dad, like two different, you know, kind of backgrounds, faiths, cultures. And um, I know that you and Ajit both have Indian as background, but like, you know, just different traditions. Very different. It's so beautiful to me how that happens and how and now in your own family that you're building you have that kind of similar dynamic that you had growing up with your parents that's really a little bit yeah yeah Yeah. so I want to stay in the realm as we've been chatting a bit about your family structure and your mom and your dad and I know And I haven't heard the details from you yet, but I have an understanding that your childhood started to take on some different experiences in life that not many people experience, Mm -hmm. endure. And I know you know what I'm talking about. And so (laughs) I'll give you the option of kind of honing in where you want to start with these very profound, deep experiences that started Mm -hmm. to happen pretty consecutively. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it, it all started to happen. I mean, I, I, I had to grow up so early. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at 10 years old, we just got the news that my mom, um, had cancer. Mm -hmm. And so that was like the big, the big uh, experience. I remember being 10 and I just got 
and this is a story I don't really share too often, but we'll kind of go go with it. I I had the chicken pox. Mm. And so this is how I found out that she was sick because I, you know, I'm there in bed and my great grandmother, my Filipino great grandmother was with me and no one was at home. And so, and I'm like, where is everybody, you know? And so my sweet great grandmother, cause I'm like, I broke out into, mm. you know, chicken pox all over my body and they're, you know, my great grandmother's like, no, they're, you know, they're at the doctor, they're at the hospital. Even my, my li- two little brothers, they're, you know, everyone's there mm. or this is kind of what I remember, right? This is what I'm like calling in, I guess. So they come home later that night and I'm feeling like, you know, abandoned and I'm like, you know, I'm itching all over the place. And she gives me, she's like my tough great grandmother. So she gives me like, I don't know if you guys remember calamine lotion. Yes. It was like a pink. <laughs> the pink bottle. Yes. Yeah. And like a vino, um, like the oats. So she set up a bath, you know, cause, and, and like put the calamine lotion on me, but then I had to sit in an oat bath and I'm thinking, where is my mom? You know, mm. where is my mom? And so I remember, um, my father came home that night with my brothers and my aunts and, and they, they mentioned, you know, she had, breast cancer. And so, so we started that journey where, uh, you know, I had to grow up. I had to take care of, mm. you know, my dad, my two younger brothers. And so, um, and she was on that journey and finally succumbed to that journey when, uh, I was 16. Mm-hmm. So she was in and out of remission for a very long time. I mean, but six years she had battled that. So, you know, dur- during my youth and upbringing, right? right? So you're really having to be confronted with the idea of perhaps the most important or one of the two most important people in your life transitioning. And I I just, yeah, I can't fathom being confronted with that at such a young Mm -hmm. age. It was only recently when we went on a hike and I told you how my mom had gotten so sick and was having that emergency surgery. Mm -hmm. And even though she's not been in the greatest of like vibrant health for, you know, a long Mm -hmm. time, that was the first super confronting moment for me. So I can't imagine Mm -hmm. at 10, you Mm -hmm. know, really trying to process. And then, yeah, the additional things then that occur within you Mm -hmm. to step up and to make these pivots that just inside, I guess you intuitively knew you needed to make. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. (laughs) It's like, let's breathe. Um, yeah, it was, it, I think you're just in survival mode Mm -hmm. at that point because with my very Indian father, you know, they don't have the language to kind of, I mean, he knew spiritually that we were going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And he knew that community was going to be really important. And he was such a community builder himself. So he had us surrounded by our aunts and uncles, family friends um, for a lot of that. But for me, it was going into serving mode and it was, you know, bringing people chai. Like I knew how to make chai when I was really young, like at 10 and and making meals for my younger brothers. Uh, A lot of folks stepped in, but she had eventually uh, passed on and transitioned um, when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the beginning of these consecutive years where I would go into and endure, you know, lots of trauma. And so during our healing time after she had passed, you know, it was really trying to hold space, what I know what holding space is now for my father, but um, which was kind of, you know, in many ways, 
helping him kind of, you know, not fully fall into depression, Mm -hmm. which he had. And uh, mind you, you know, he's still taking care of us and putting food on the table and providing, but that's, I started getting my first job when I was 14 years old. And so when I was 16, I had two jobs. I was like uh, tutoring. Uh, And so just trying to you know, keep things going Mm -hmm. Uh, while, of course, um, trying to also do all of the things traditionally, get good grades, you know, the straight A's, that sort of like high achieving profile. Wow. I see like the vision of (laughs) you're just aware of so much and tuning into your little brothers and, you know, and I just, yeah, I can really see around you. Uh, how many places you had your energy and mindfulness put into. Yes. And that holding of space. A lot. Um, And I would have to really dive into it because a year later, almost to the day, you know, we would be tested with another one of life's, I guess, gifts. And um, my brother, who was 16 months younger than me, we were actually, I was a senior in high school at this point, and he was a sophomore and uh, went to Lane Tech, which was in the city of Chicago. And he went to um, a school literally right across the street and it was homecoming Mm. and he had asthma, but it wasn't, you know, it was like a seasonal asthma. I mean, he had grown up with it pretty tough, but he was kind of starting to evolve out of it and grow out of it. But for whatever reason this day, uh, which happened to be my younger, youngest brother, Vinay's birthday, Mm. his 12th birthday, he decided he was going to transition and be with my mom. So he had a massive asthma attack and started seizing. So dropped to the floor of his high school Mm. uh, in front of his high school. And um, so very traumatic for all the kids. And they tried to revive him. You know, the ambulance was called. It was a really big scene uh, and they couldn't revive him. So he left that day. And, you know, there I was trying to get to my homecoming game as a senior in in high school. And I'm at my best friend's, um, you know, home. My father calls my best friend's mother and says, you know, come to the hospital. And you already know what Mm. that feeling is like because you've already been through that before. And so, um, you know, for those of you who've been through multiple experiences, your, you know, your heart rate goes up, your nervous system is out of whack. Now I have language to explain what all of that feels like. But then you're kind of like just in shock and you're, you know, I was in just shock mode. Mm -hmm. And there we were headed to the ER. um, And I mean, you could just imagine like just... Yeah, I was mm. just not in mm. a good place. My mm. father, everyone was just mm. so oh, in oh. just a, oh, I feel it's it. a tough, tough place. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Sorry, I'm the one crying. <laughs> it's your experience and your story. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I could feel it. It's tough. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the yeah. emotions of everyone. And oh, wow. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oof. <sighs> yeah. And so now you've had both of these. Mm-hmm. I mean, like immediate family, like closest family members pass within a year. Mm-hmm. And do you remember? It's like, what do I even want to know about this? Um, mm. I guess I'm curious if you recall, I don't know your grieving process mm-hmm. because I know it's still not even 
done yet because mm-hmm. there's more of the story to tell. But do you remember, I don't know, what you did to get through or how oh, you yeah. processed your way through this? Yeah, you know, as and I as as I've I've spoken about it at length, you know, I'm not like a, a, a spokesperson for grief or anything like that, but I do know a little bit about it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that as I was still a young person, I was still, you know, a teenager, you know, but also having these really big life experiences under my belt. And because I had such a spiritual upbringing, even though I didn't necessarily know what that meant at the time because, um, you know, I was in high school and the friends around me, they were all like hardcore Christians. So they Mm. were like evangelical Christians. So, you know, this group of friends that I had growing up, especially in high school, uh, they kind of like took to me. And so they, you know, they had all of these like rallies in in high school um, when my mom was sick. And so like came all to visit in the hospital. So I Mm. had this really close group of friends who um, a lot of times really kind of shaped that spiritual bend wow. that I needed at that time. Beautiful. And it was through, you know, it was through singing and, and Jesus and, and going to church and also going to the temple and also going to, my father grew up um, in Punjab. Um, Sikhism mm-hmm. is really big. And so um, he grew up next to, you know, the Gurdwara, which is another place we would frequent. Um, so I, I think that... Uh, the universe was setting us up Mm. for all of these different ways and outlets for us to be supported, even though uh, I didn't know what that meant. So absolutely. So my first moments of really understanding this power of grief was, of course, we did traditional talk therapy as, as, as kids. My father didn't really have the language and didn't really know how to take us through such deep grief plus you know him losing his own son mm-hmm. for any parent was so difficult especially a year after he lost his wife so that was it just took him into a whole uh different literally witnessing your family just go down to fall, half of what it was yeah fall apart yeah absolutely and so um you know we had a lot of uh therapy counseling in school and we didn't really know what that looked like right so and most of it most of the healing came through from community most of the healing came through from still going through the tra- traditions which is why i think i i kept those traditions of going to ccd even though I didn't really care to listen to a sermon that was, was, you know, just kind of antiquated in my opinion, but I loved the tradition and I loved the routine Mm -hmm. because there's routine in a Catholic church. Right. Uh, And so that was some of the elements that I kept. And so we've evolved those routines and rituals now to be rituals that keep you grounded and keep you safe. But back then that's what I knew what rituals were. So Tuesdays we would go to the temple Sundays, we would go to the, to, to church to remember remember, you know, the times with our mom. And yeah, we would go to the evangelical Christian stuff and getting prayed for yeah. and, and the singing and I the, the, the rock and roll yes, and, yes. <laughs> you know, the hands up. The hands up Hallelujah. And, <laughs> so, so it was, you know, those of you listening, love you all, love you all. You guys were amazing for me. So yeah, it was what kept us going. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I went into crisis mode and survival mode was what would my mom want 
And so that was kind of, okay, um, I'm a senior in, in, in high school. I just, you know, applied to all of these like Ivy League schools because I thought I was going to finally go away and live life on my terms. And I knew that that was probably not going to be, that just wasn't even a, an option at that point. So um, I decided and opted to be around the family and go to somewhere where it was, you know, a few blocks from our home in Chicago. And um, so two years after that, you know, we're starting to rebuild our lives and kind of find joy in some of this messiness and these these times. And there were times where we thought, where I thought like, oh, I couldn't even experience joy. Like mm. I feel bad because there's shame and there's guilt. Um, so just having to think of how to reconcile laughter mm-hmm. when you have all of this like grief mm. times. And and as a child, and even for my younger brother, you know, all we want to do is just know that we're going to all be okay. And that's all we want as, as kids. Now that I look back and see my own kids, like when they see us sad, you know, they, they want the permission to just be and, and, mm. and to play and to be present. And I know looking back, like that's what I wanted for my father, you know? So as a teenager rebelling, I still was rebelling, wanting to date and still having the nuances of having an Indian father. So, you know, the, the not being able to date and having to lie about things while navigating grief and loss and these really big concepts, but wanting to go out with my friends and just be a normal human, Mm -hmm. you know, but then having all of these like tons of responsibilities. So my open tabs were like 50 of them were just open all the time. Mm. And then we would get another big shock of our lives. My father, we were going to a, a wedding. One of our Filipino cousins were getting married and we, we decided we wanted to, to show up for the first time at mm. any family function in two years. And we're like, I think we're ready. I think this is this is time. And my father had started, you know, on AOL, they have those chat groups. So he started like talking to women <laughs> And, you know, it was, and, and he was starting to date and I was probably the happiest seeing that for him, that he was excited about, you know, this woman, uh, Nisha, that he always, always was talking about and he loved Sufi poets. So he would, you know, send her all of these like, how romantic. <laughs> yeah. Like from I Hafez. love Sufi poets too. Yeah. You know, and, and Rumi and, uh, and, and you know, he, he had a, an allergic reaction to the, to this dye where we were, um, he got his hair colored for this, this wedding and had to go to the hospital. And so there we go, triggering all the trauma patterns all over Back again. Back in the hospital. Back in the hospital. So you guys, I, I don't really like the hospital so much, but, um, so after a few routine tests, uh, cause at this point, you know, my father had, he was a smoker for years and, um, he did have high blood pressure. So he wasn't in the best health, but he had just started to run, you know, he was up to running two miles, even three miles. He had quit smoking. He was dating this girl, Nisha. And, you know, the doctor said he had stage four cancer. Mm. And so that was where I was like blown away. Yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, two years later, are you kidding me? I I mean, at that point, (laughs) I'm curious, was there a moment or a chapter where you were just, where you rage came up or just confusion or just 
like complete beyond bewilderment of like, what is going on here? Any of that? Did that come at that point or? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I remember because I was a, you know, I was a pre-med student at the time, pre-dental, pre-med. And so I remember being in my biology class and, uh, you know, really taking into what I was learning, right? And so I remember the hematologist, oncologist coming in and I remember so being just so triggered and so fired up. And I'm like, no, this can't be right because he's so healthy. He's eating right. He's, you know, I'm just like advocating for him. And my, I can feel my dad being like, he's this Leo energy mm-hmm. because he's, he is a Leo, right? Or he was a Leo. And he was just so just grounded and not saying anything. Cause I think he was just like, he had just lost all hope or was also confused. And I was the one just so enraged because I'm like, are you kidding me? God, is there a God? Is there, you know, is this, what is this universe? You know? And at this point it was God because, you know, hardcore Christian at the time. right? (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I was so confused. I was, I was just, there was this sense of hopelessness, but also the sense of anger. And I know that with a lot of 12 steps, there's, you know, 12 step programs, even just the stages of grief, Mm -hmm. right? There's, uh, you know, there's moments where you second guess and there's moments where you're like, is this really happening? Yes. yes. And you're, you're in that grieving stage, but you're like, come on. And, and you want to just get out of it. So the only emotion that feels really good to hold on to (sighs) is anger Yeah, to be angry at everything. And Uh. I could, I could tell that, you know, just being in that space, you know, I couldn't be there for too long because I had a younger brother. Right. And he was five years younger than me. <sighs> and so, but I knew that I had to, uh, you you don't have a choice in, in those moments. I didn't have a choice. I didn't have that space to breathe because I knew I was just getting into survival mode again. My, my central nervous system could not go into what is what does calm look like because it was like wait you're telling us that he has only you know 10 months to live 9 months to live like this is not even possible and so for the first few months we didn't believe anything because he was he was feeling great he was feeling great they said that he had a tumor i forget you know uh, the size of it but they couldn't operate on it because it was so close to his other lung so it was it was a lot and then uh, he he opted for you know the traditional chemo radiation and which uh, you know looking back now now that I know so much more about uh, and really had devoted my life around wellness mm-hmm. there would be a d- different conversation but back then we just didn't know mm-hmm. and so he died nine months to the day you know he died nine months to the day and uh, it was. You know, seeing him, because I was so close to him, we had become, you know, buddies. Um, and it was so great to see him uh, and our relationship evolve in such a short period of time. Because while he was still my dad, there was so much wisdom that I feel like was energetically being transferred sure. over to me in some of our chats and talks. And he wasn't the hardcore Punjabi dad anymore. He was more in this stage of listening. And, you know, oh. even those friends that would come and visit, he was, just, you know, he's like, take, take Nita and Vinay to, 
any of the spiritual things that you go to. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, neither travel. So, you know, just all of these like little tidbits that I was so grateful to have um, during, during those times. But uh, so it was a sense of like relief when he finally transitioned, mm, even why? though I wished otherwise, you know, cause I felt like there was, you know, looking back now I have words again around it to describe it, but it felt like for those years, especially for anyone who's been in like this thickness of like grief where you're like, this is never going to end. It's, it's just going to continuously go. When am I going to see the sunlight again. When am I going to see, like, am I going to get through this like dark patch or this dark cave that I've been in for so long, but I see the light. I do see the light at the end of the tunnel and I see that. And so that's kind of where my, I guess you can say this internal willpower came from this internal sense that, you know, this resiliency and grit, of course, which is, you know, kind of a lot of the work that I do now. What she wrote books on (laughs) makes sense. Maybe. (laughs) And so, and, but in that time, it was like, I can see that there is an ending to this, or at least I felt it. You know, I didn't know how I was going to heal through it all. I didn't even know what it meant to heal. I just knew that this cloud was going to end. You did know that. I, I did. If this powerful conversation is lighting you up, you can connect with Nita yourself. She is the co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute, where you can become a Dharma certified coach or a spiritual life coach. Be sure to use the code word Allison. That's my first name, A-L-Y-S-O-N. Use code Allison at checkout when you register for this powerful 16-week program. And when you do that, you'll get a free shamanic journey and meditation that I facilitate. Dharma Coaching Institute allows you to not only get clear on your dharma, but you can also learn how to build a thriving career around helping other people discover what their soul's calling, what their dharma is. Registration for this certification round is only available now through November 7th. And I would jump on at SoulFan because the last time they opened doors, it sold out in just a few days. And remember, only when you get registered using code Allison, A-L-Y-S-O-N at checkout at Dharma coachinginstitute.com. You will then get that free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal and also a shamanic meditation to help you unlock your soul's power and purpose. Both life-changing tools that I want to give to you when you enroll at dharmacoachinginstitute.com using code Allison at checkout now through November 7th, Soul Fam. I mean, at this point, I was wondering, and I'm so glad to hear otherwise, but I was curious, did you just get enveloped with this like fear of, am I next? Is my other brother next? Of just like wondering if every person you meet is soon going to pass. Oh, thousand percent. That pattern was (laughs) very clear. Established. (laughs) Very clear. I mean, and what a, I mean, that's one of the scariest places I can imagine being in. It's just like, witnessing and experiencing every person you're closest to in the span of just a couple or a few years, just Mm -hmm. passing away and transitioning to the other realms. And um, 
So I'm so glad somehow you were gifted with, even though you may have had that come up, you somehow had that clear vision of that light at the end of the tunnel. Thank God you had that saving grace of that knowingness somehow that it wasn't going to keep going on like that. Yeah. I feel like in when you're faced with such extreme adversity, or at least this is kind of, you know, what I had I had thought at the time and and learning and reading others who have been through such intensity in such short span of years, you can either, you could fully break down, fully break. And, you know, I could have probably ended up, you know, at the mental asylum and just full- Homeless, anything. Yeah, homeless, every, everything, everything, you know, drugs, like all of the addictions, everything. I had every, I had every opportunity to mm-hmm. and every excuse to- and even, you know, uh, grief counselors with, uh, you know, at my, at my brother's school, uh, you know, had mentioned, do you need a, a psychiatrist? And, you know, our family, because of course there's the taboo of, of everything, especially, um, you know, mental health related issues in the Asian culture. You just don't talk about it. But for us, that was the only thing that could bring our family together because as a whole unit, everyone was grieving. I mean, my dad was a huge community builder, as I mentioned. Mm. So we had aunts, uncles, you know, we call them aunts and uncles, but these are my dad's really close friends. Everyone stepped in as a herd to just really, you know, come, you know, just, just be there for us. Obviously internally, I had the responsibility of raising my brother. I mean, nobody in my family wanted us to let go of the home that we grew up in. So we kept that home. So, you know, in that home, we had a lot of, you know, ceremonies to clear what we would clear the air with, but it was a lot of pujas, a lot of things to kind of help them transition Mm-hmm. but so that we wouldn't have so much of that change so we could still keep the home that we 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 had and wow. and and so a lot of it was feeling their presence a lot of it was you know I, I i had so many dreams about them especially my father especially my brother knowing that you know you're going to be okay so having those aids kind of getting through some of those dark times <sighs> really really um kind of you know, set, you know, forth this path of just being unstoppable because that would lead then the next, I would say, decade of my life getting into, because I was 19, right, as an orphan, having to channel and and kind of get into this life path of like, all right. So I did have this like chip on my shoulder of like, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. And I think that was the mantra that I needed in order to just spearhead and really hold on to kind of the, I guess, educational principles that my parents left me with. Mm -hmm. Like success is everything. Education is everything. And so that's really what I put forth in this next chapter of my 20s. Wow. That really got me through. (laughs) And it's so interesting. And thank you so much for sharing all this. It's like just the richest medicine. So thank you. But what's interesting is like, okay, so what you just described about, you know, go forward and ante up at all costs and you've got this and the success and the, just like the hardest core driven energy. Mm -hmm. So you have that and you're building this incredible medical practice. And I read that you were 
like a top dentist in Chicago and you had your own, you know, I'm just like, go Nita. Okay, girl. I know you as this like speaker author. I'm like looking at your headshot from your dental practice. Oh my God. I was like, wow, look at her. So different. So different. And, um, and also, you know, reading up about you then had another incredible medicinal challenging chapter with your previous, not this marriage, but your previous abusive marriage. And, um, Oh yeah. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like your passageways of trial and tribulation and all the different lessons and medicines i mean hardcore stuff oh yeah it's like you signed up for one of the <laughs> wildest soul contracts do you believe in soul oh contracts? Abs- a thousand percent a thousand I'm, percent i'm like boy did i choose wisely yes seriously i have it like three <laughs> times in here why do you think you signed up for this and why do you think you signed up for that like what i'm so curious either with experiencing such significant loss at such young age or then once you've gotten through that you know, then ending up in a really abusive marriage. Why, yeah, why do you think you you hand-selected these experiences <laughs> for yourself? You know, I think it was really to come back to love. And and that's like the, the biggest thing because now as, um, you know, now as a mama of two, gosh, I had a revelation earlier this year when I was pregnant with Isla we just moved to Austin and I was, you know, we were having, you know, just regular moving issues, transition issues and, and remodeling issues, these types of things. And I'm like, you know, thinking back to when I had this crazy rough, rough patch and I'm like, wow, what is, this is, this is ease. (laughs) Mm. this is ease. And for the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what joy actually felt like, like feels like, right? Because now everything is at such ease, Mm. even though, you know, there's these Mm -hmm. nuances of you're moving, you're trying to get your life set up, you're, you know, trying to get everything new, you know, situated in a whole new city with a toddler who, you know, you have to be there for. But compared to what I've been through, this is like an easy walk in the park. And I was, I was reflecting with my husband. I'm like, I don't think I've ever felt, I mean, there've been moments of this, but, you know, for pretty much, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it was like constant, like, fight mode. And I mean, fight mode, meaning like fight to survive mode, Mm -hmm. survival mode, survival mode. And in the past, probably five years of just this unraveling and, um, you know, really getting more into just my, my own becoming leaning less into the masculine and Mm -hmm. more into the, the feminine and more into the receiving and more into this like incredible support role in many ways, but, you know, also, you know, owning what I, uh, you know, my, my own gifts, but in a very different way than just charging how I did in the first half of my life. And that's so powerful Mm -hmm. to allow yourself to 
open yourself up to this whole other paradigm of experiencing yourself, life, your relationships, especially when someone like yourself, that other mode of being had to had to have been so ingrained because that's literally how you were going to survive each day. Mm-hmm. So that mode, I mean, so fully, I'm sure, filled every cell, bone, teeth, you know, in, in your body. It's like, <laughs> we must go to survive. And right. so I think it's a complete miracle and so astounding that you even got to a place in your life where you did let yourself lean into this whole other unfamiliar way. So unfamiliar. And I think, you know, you mentioned soul contracts, but I think that all of that happened before I was 30. <laughs> wow. And so what a what a crazy Saturn return, right? And I think because this next chapter was going to be meant for, you know, helping others to unleash and do, you know, do the same. And, and of course, not in the most profound, really big ways, but even in just the small, tiny mm-hmm. daily ways that we often, you know, take for granted. And I think that, you know, even healing some of, you know, the the generational wounds from my grandfather having to leave his country at a very early age as a ambassador to UNICEF and go into some of these areas where he lived in Afghanistan, you know, nine months out of the year. He met with many dignitaries and things like that into kind of full circle where we are at today, just in the landscape of the world, you know, to be able to, yeah, kind of come through that mm-hmm. grief and come through that path to be able to help others awaken in the ways that they're they're meant to, whether it's, you know, new season in life, whether it's you know, embodying the feminine, not the masculine. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's been a really beautiful stage of me, you know, even becoming, even as a mother, again, um, redefining what that looks like for yeah. myself. So can we go just another layer into that portal you just opened of, cause I'm so curious and I'm guessing the listeners are too, of how did you transition what you experienced into yeah your teachings and how you can really help facilitate certain things for people i know you just gave a couple of examples yeah. but i feel like there's some other thread or two in there mm-hmm. um yeah how do you best support others like what's your greatest strength yeah so so going back to why and and the the pivotal awakening that I needed to have, and this was like the final test before you know everything kind of expanded in a whole beautiful way. And this roundabout way is, you know, the first half of my life was really just giving to other people mm-hmm. and f- the full just serving others, and that this final relationship, and I, I don't want to say final relationship, but this like pivotal relationship was what gave life back to me because previous abusive marriage okay yes because i had to claim myself and i had to it was almost like giving birth to myself and really just um you know unearthing everything because i had been in such survival mode and survival mode and survival mode and even in this tumultuous marriage and divorce it was really just kind of 
ripping everything away to expose what my soul was really meant to be doing. And how did you get the strength? Because I come from, and we have obviously our own different experiences, but I also come from a previous, you know, abusive, dysfunctional relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really intriguing for me. I had a trillion and still have light bulb moments around (laughs) that 16 and a half years. But, um, you know, one of them was like, wow, I was one of quote unquote, those women, mm-hmm. one of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Yep. And them being a woman who allows herself to be in a cycle of insanity or an abusive situation for a long time. And yeah, I'm just, I don't even know really where I'm trying to go with it, but it can be so challenging, um, you know, because here we are, you know, these very capable, strong, intelligent, wise, powerful, ambitious women. And of course, you know, there's, yeah, karmic and contract and all of these things. But I I was in that pool of mm-hmm. toxicity for so long and it was hard for me to get out. Mm-hmm. And for me, it took a divine intervention. I mean, literally all my guides blowing the whistle, turning my clear audience on and like just pretty much forcing me out. Thank Mm. God. Oh my God. But how for your situation, um, you know, in case anyone listening is in a similar current and they're really wanting to find something within themselves to give them the strength to exit out, like, do you have any tips or how did you finally pull yourself away? Well, I also had a divine intervention, which was, you know, it was, uh, he threatened to kill me. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of the, the last, like, you know, the last literal punch in the face where, you know, it was, it was December 31st and I, I just had this like, finally looking in the mirror because at this point I thought that I had, I had come through everything. Mm. You know, I was, I was having this incredible practice, you know, the seven figure practice, not even, the huge you house. know, just like the humongous home, um, that like got together with my ex and, you know, just self-made in all of these ways. Yet I had finally looked in the mirror and, Mm. you know, Mm. it was just that moment where you're connecting. It was almost like seeing my soul for the first time and even just this, my, my inner child really. And just like the little Nita that was, that just wanted to be loved, didn't want to be abandoned, wanted to just be safe and secure Mm -hmm. and looking at her thinking, wow, how did you get to this place? You know, and, and of course I share this a lot in my talks, you know, but uh, that moment to say, okay, and having that clarity of, wow, if I continue to stay here, I won't be <laughs> anymore mm-hmm. or I can choose. And thankfully in the form of a girlfriend who was just my, one of my, my dearest girlfriends. And she had mentioned, um, you know, two days prior and she said, Nitha, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. What are you doing? You've already, like, she just had to be that person to say what was already embodied in my soul. Like you've been through so much. Why? She's like, I can see what's happening. And I had not told, told a soul, mm. you know, what I had been going through. And so that was really kind of like, she was like my angel and my guides really kind of opening this door. 
because it was a dramatic unfolding of how the turns turn of events happened uh, with a restraining order and, you know, the locks got changed throughout my home and I, I had to make a decision right away uh, to fully leave. But in that, uh, you know, for some of you, for, for anybody who's, who's even contemplating or thinking of the steps that they can take, you know, it's, you know that you're at this like rock bottom where things have just fallen apart so much where you're like the fear of of staying and the fear of sorry the fear of going feels worse than the fear of staying because at least the fear of staying you know you know what's going to come you know you have to stay on eggshells you know you have to kind of tiptoe around things you know that oh that person might have a blow up again but on the other side of that it can be some of the most freeing things and and getting to that place sometimes is a divine, a divine intervention and we have to just be open to what that is. And I don't mm-hmm. know, it's going to be different for everyone, mm-hmm. but I knew that for me, that was just, that was it. And it was, it was fast. Mm-hmm. It happened and unraveled like, you know, um, the very next day almost. And so it was, you know, January 1st, um, where I'm, you know, finally told my family, my aunt who had been with me for so long, I was so afraid of telling her that I was in this, like, she's such a strong woman and I, I admired her so much and I still admire her so much. And she, she was like, thank God you told me, mm-hmm. thank God you're out. And, you know, of course all, you know, tears and everything, but that was just what I needed to feel like, oh, okay. We're going to get through this and this is it. I can fly. I can, I can fly Mm -hmm. and we're going to get through this, this next road. It was, it was a challenging, you know, nine months to say the least. It took nine months to fully get divorced. Uh, But that's what I call this rebirth and this awakening of this, this, you know, healing journey that opened myself up to all things, just spirituality. And my first kind of, um, uh, moments of when I, when, when everything was going really amazing in my practice and I wanted to shut it down so bad because I'm like, things were moving so fast that I couldn't even like process. Again, it was like the same thing growing up. And I, knew I needed to take time out for myself. And this was the first time that I took to this meditation yoga retreat. And it was in the Red Rock Mountains, you know, St. George, Utah. And that's where I was. Mm. And I had to confront a lot of demons, yeah, uh, which were, I, this was me coming completely out of my shell, bursting out into, you know what? I, I had to really own who I was yeah. and own my gifts, own my gifts as a leader, as a person who had her own practice, as a person who owned real estate, you know, owning all of these things about me where I was kind of playing small and timid and shy and um, wanting to be saved and rescued, right? Uh, I needed to rescue myself. And so that looked like having these incredible boundaries and and having this talk with my team of other doctors and people who work with me saying, I'm going through this right now. And I had to get clear and really accept I am in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And for me to articulate that, and I'm sure you know how, how that must have felt, um, was the most freeing thing, even though I had literally five patients in my, in my practice, like cotton balls in their mouths. <sighs> and I called everyone into the central area where we would have lunch and everyone had their masks on and their white coats on. And they're like, what is she doing? You know? And I literally broke down in front of them. And mm. that was the first time I had broken down since ever any of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fully like mm-hmm. dry heaving and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so beautiful to let people see your mm. vulnerabilities because I had such, I was like a soldier. I mean, going into battle for all those years mm. and to finally let go and not take care of everyone like I was doing mm. and just finally break down and crumble and let the pieces fall where they may, you know, everyone in my office was like, and I, I gave them a, you know, I said, you have the right, you, you can choose right now. Either you stay here with me or you walk because we had all of these issues of, um, uh, embezzlement and just, uh, mm. my ex-husband was trying, it was just very mm. dramatic mm. Oh, um, I see. with like okay. assets and things like that. And yep. it was, it just got really, uh, ugly. <laughs> yeah. Just l- literally laying it and putting it all out. You had like, to, you yeah. had, you had to. And, and, and that really for anyone who's going through it, do not be afraid of being vulnerable and letting mm-hmm. people in to your experience and whatever that is, especially, uh, if you're thought to be so strong, it f- informs much of the work that I do now with being able to, help people just understand their emotions mm-hmm. and understand how a lot of the, whether big or small, right? We are not going to compare hurts and, you know, everyone's uh, experience of whatever they're going through is totally theirs. But I think with so much of the huge traumas that I've been through in writing books on, my first book was called Emotional Grit and helping uh, leaders mostly uh, transition from, you know, these big powerful figures into people that actually can lean into different walks of life and completely shift and transition their mm-hmm. next chapter, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a loss, whether it's um, a career change. Coming clean about something, being honest <laughs> yeah, about something, whatever. betrayal, whatever that is to, you know, to to not shy away from it and to not um, yeah. beat yourself up on it. And that leads me into this um, section here that I felt so important to cover with you. So thanks for this perfect segue. Because <laughs> when I was, I think, watching one of your clips of your talks, you talked about how people seem to fear failure so much and hide their imperfections. And there is such medicine, miracles, and magic when we can look at that piece and somehow not fear the failure so much or not hide our imperfections. So I don't know what's bubbling up inside of you around that, any teachings or or anything or, or clarity. Um, why do you think that, are we brainwashed that way? Or is it something ingrained in us as humans where yeah, it seems to be, I'm thankfully in a place, I don't know that I was always here where when I give my talks or even on ceremony circle, like I'm just honest. I, it's just the cleanest, clearest way to be is just vulnerable, real, keep it real. I just don't have the bandwidth to try to construct something other than that. And so (laughs) that's just my avenue. But it, you know, I guess I can think back to times where I maybe did feel more comfortable thinking that others maybe viewed me as like just the best at everything or whatever, mm-hmm. when it wasn't the case. Like 
yeah, like that's where my phrase winning but lost came from. I was winning at all these things, but inside I was like suffering and, oh, and yes. lost before my awakening. So oh, I love that. Why do we look at failure as something embarrassing or shameful? How, why haven't we understood that this is earth school and right. we're here to oh, just I love earth school. <laughs> learn and yes. evolve? Well, I, I think also, I think it becomes, it, it comes from our upbringing. Uh, you know, a lot of times, even for for myself, failure was not an option the way where I, how I grew up in, in my early days. And even um, the the choice of, of profession that I was trained in, you're trained in millimeters. And so you're not even, you know, taught. Uh, and, and, and this used to be something I would teach to actually, uh, to professional students is you're not even taught to fail because everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be right. And if it's not right, then you shouldn't even you shouldn't even have an opinion. Right. Especially with the dental work. You can't. Yeah, you can't. can't you can't. You don't want somebody working on your mouth that's going to like screw things up. You can't right? have that front tooth a millimeter <laughs> off to the, to the one to side. To the left? Yeah. Come on, you guys. <laughs> uh, so, and that that's, that's hard. That's hard because if you're going through massive training around being perfect where there is no such thing. And I know that, you know, for a lot of times in, uh, for Asian upbringings, like that's mm -hmm. kind of what's expected. So you're not even allowed to have an opinion or share, uh, your thoughts fully and, you know, kind of, uh, honestly from the heart, because you don't even know what that is. You weren't even taught to even explore that. Right. Mm. So a lot of what I kind of share now is to yeah, be messy. It's it's okay to fall over and it's okay. Whatever whatever masterpiece you have going on is perfect and it's magical and it's joyous and it's juicy and it all encompasses you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to embrace the messiness because that's what gives birth to who you really are. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, coming on the other side of this is, yeah, let's, let's get goofy. Let's get, let's get playful because a lot of it is also me just going back to my inner child and, and healing little Nita who needed mm -hmm. all of that play, all of that joy with all of the heaviness that was going around. So I, I, I have that as part of, you know, recentering and grounding to remind people that it is not so serious. So much. I, I resonate so deeply. And the thing that was coming up was I'm trying to pull the human words for it because at least in the acknowledging, at least in the moment you had in your dental office of just, you know, putting it all out there and the dry heaving, like, like you said, in that is an energetic current of moving forward. It's you're out of suppressing, you're out of pretending, mm -hmm. you're out of the letting your unconscious keep you in mess. Mm. And at least in the vulnerability and, um, yeah. And the sharing and acknowledging that is allowing you to, to change because it's when, and one of my struggles is when I witness, and I, I'm really embodied with unconditional love and compassion to a very true degree. Mm -hmm. But where I do notice um, frustration still coming up is when I see someone who just persistently 
just will not allow um, themselves to get out of their mm-hmm. unconscious, mm-hmm. just running their programming, running their life and allowing, not taking responsibility for cleaning up their side of the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. even as I'm saying Love that, I'm that. reflecting back to when I was once that person, yep. but it's like, it, I, it's, it's hard to witness someone just not tending to what they need to tend to. And at least when you drop to the floor or are honest about what's going on, you're tending to it then. You are. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, you're definitely having this experience where you are now aware. You're aware of it and you're like, okay, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay if I'm even all shook up and I'm all just a mess and just, and I can regroup and now I have a different experience Mm -hmm. and I'm actually honoring what this is and I'm not judging it because a lot of times with perfection, you're, you're fearing judgment. You're fearing, you know, the, the, the perception of the other side, but actually you're right now in that, in that messiness, you're actually accepting where you're at. And that, mm-hmm. that is, that's such a beautiful moment to arrive at without any preconceived notion of where you want to take that, mm-hmm. where for the longest time, that was, that was my life because that's really what I thought my, the ghosts of my parents wanted, right? This ideal, you know, Indian Filipino daughter. And that just, uh, it, it was, it had to take all of that to to bring me back to who I really needed to heal, which was, you know, little little Nita and, mm-hmm. and encouraging others to be able to let go of of all of those things that kind of strap us down on a daily basis. Yeah. So that we can really come from a place of of our own daily becoming. Mm-hmm. So I think the last thing I want to touch on before we close with your little mini ritual ceremony, whatever, whatever you're bringing <laughs> yeah. in, the last portal I'd love to cover because you have, I mean, clearly accomplished so much. And just in terms of career, I mean, we've talked a little bit. I mean, we just dropped one sprinkle of your dental, your previous dental practice. Um, but I know you're an investor and you're a global change maker and an entrepreneur and you run and operate and invest in so many different businesses and you're a speaker and best-selling author and all of that. So some other time, I think I want to have you on <laughs> to talk specifically about like conscious businesses. Yes. And I, think, oh, I would love that. I think I need to save that for just like a whole focused <laughs> chat. I would love that. But one thread that I want to get into, because I know you traveled extensively and you did this success study, which I loved because my definition of success has changed so much throughout the years. Mm, mm. And um, I got, wrote here what came up um, that when you were asking all these people all over the world, like, what is your view of success? Well, how do you define it? One of the things that revealed was having the willpower, focus, and grit when times are tough. It's about authenticity and courage, being able to adapt, and most importantly, about having the ability to bounce back from any sort of adversity and actively build up that resilience to get up faster the next time around. That was the through line in all of your conversations. So did that surprise you that... um, you know, some of the things that you had, I mean, you have a gorgeous house now, but like we talked about, like you had that massive home and these fancy mm-hmm. cars and your own dental practice. And, and yet when you talked to all these folks around the world, it wasn't any of that. No, it wasn't, it wasn't any of that. And, you know, it was, it was, it was actually validating, um, 
to me because most of it was around just being able to honor life's gifts, life's experiences. And through some of the tougher times, whatever tough means to you, that you're still being able to have the courage to say, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to, I'm going to just be, and I'm going to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about the metric of success of money in the bank or whatnot. And, you know, I had interviewed, I don't know, like probably 500 folks. Mm. Um, It ended up being like a, you know, a gathering data and information, but the conversations that I did have with people, I don't know, it was like 50 countries plus was really around understanding how the tough times in your life can actually be that 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 fuel to yeah. to thrive in whatever it is you're doing raising a family right starting a business um bringing community together finding um, your dharma finding, finding yes finding your dharma and and that's the biggest thing right because i think uh in the past people really thought that especially from the lens and perspective I grew up with immigrant parents, you know, you are taught this career and you're supposed to stick with it for eons and years. And that's, that's your Dharma. Right. And for me to go through this full evolution in every possible way before I was 30 and rediscover my own Dharma at the time was really just trying to get to know myself. Mm -hmm. And for others, it's trying to heal or for others, it's trying to figure out what they would like to show up in the world and serve others to mm-hmm. do the same. And uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful place that we're at now mm-hmm. where where I can help others do that as well. Yeah. Some of our other new pro- projects. So yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited. I know you're working on your next book. <laughs> yes. Which is, I know you're, you're, the plan is to zip through it pretty quick and have her out at the beginning of next year. Or, or... Uh, no, 2020, uh, 2023. Okay. Yes. Okay. So yes. we have to wait a little while. For we do have to one. wait. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we'll, we'll come two, on. I'll come on before that. Yes. You, your other two, if you can remind people um, the names of those. Yeah. So my first one is uh, Emotional Grit and uh, my second and third, I I actually co-authored with my now husband, Ajit. Mm. Um, and that is, we do serve many new coaches and uh, coach trainers. Uh, and it's called the book of coaching and the business book of coaching. And so I infuse a lot of the emotional mastery and the mindset related pieces uh, in becoming a coach, because yeah. a lot of times you're you know, uh, you're, you're dealing with a lot of people's, your client's stuff and even your own internal dialogues of good enough, not good enough, ready enough, not ready enough. Uh, and, and I think that piece needs to be so solid, uh, if you want to build something sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we've had, I don't know, over 50,000 copies sold for both of those books mm. uh, and more. So, yeah. Well, you guys are both masterful in your own ways, specifically with that category. And being a coach is a huge responsibility. You have to really be able to trust yourself and know how to do so many things, holding space, just being one of them. And 
learning to, you know, to make sure you're not projecting or not mm. projecting very often. Or I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into coaching. So I can't imagine people, honestly, I'm not just saying this because you guys are my friends and neighbors, but I truly can't imagine people being in better hands than the two of you. Mm, thank you, love. Yeah. Thank you. You guys are so powerful. Appreciate that. Power couple for real. So, okay. Wow. I haven't asked you uh, what you want to close ceremony circle with. Just anything. Yes. So uh, as I was thinking this morning, I'm going to share with you as I've had to redefine my own self-care practices. Mm. So I know this conversation is perfect because we've talked a lot about me healing little Nita. And now that I have little Ari at home and Isla at home, uh, self-care has been very minimal, you know, two kids who are, uh, under three. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm going to take, uh, your audience and anyone that's listening to just getting back to recentering, mm. um, which is a very quick practice because a lot of times as a mama, uh, I don't have time. You can't sit at your altar uh, <laughs> for four hours in the morning like I do. Oh my gosh. Is this a transition I'm going to have to make once I get pregnant with yes. my child? Yes. Yes, Allison. <laughs> okay. So, this is yes, good for Allison. me to learn then. So this is great because before I my, my self-care practices were like 90 minutes and now uh, I'm just trying to center. So, um, all right. So... As I have toddlers sometimes running around me, baby crying, and I just need to take a moment to get back to myself. This exercise is really stimulating the vagus nerve. And for those of you who know, the vagus nerve runs throughout our body, fully being able to connect our, our gut to our brain, but it also stabilizes our central nervous system. And when we have so many things open, so many tabs open, many times if we are trying to do everything all at the same time, we, we need a practice to get back to ourselves. And, and mamas, you can also take your kiddos uh, in on this journey. So it's, it's a process I call turn off the lights. So we're going to turn off the lights and go inward. And you're going to place your hand over your heart and just kind of connect to your breath and just breathe in. And this practice is really going to be activating your vagus nerve. And we can do this many ways, but I'm going to take you through this in the form of chanting mm. and in the form of humming, as my father actually used to do back when we would go and interrupt him. So yes. this is why it's a perfect practice to tie this all in together. But we're going to do four ohms, four hums, and four ohms again, and we can practice this for about a minute, but I'll take you through this three times. So let's take a deep breath and activate our vagus nerve. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
over your heart, thank yourself for showing up, for turning back into you and what your little, little inner child needed today. Mm. <sighs> oh, we are back. Chanting again. Mm. And this is perfect because if you have littles around, um, my daughter loves when I'm humming. And you can also just know that your the vibration in your voice activates your third, your, your throat chakra. And that in itself, even if you only have two minutes in between clients or in between the heaviness of the day, you can bring yourself back to center and grounding. Thank you so much. God, that felt so good. Especially the humming part for me, my being was just soaking in that hum mm -hmm. so deeply. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I have gone too long in between chanting sessions i will oh, say that okay like when i we were doing it i was like oh no no you uh, need to yes you need to yes. start again allison yes thank you because i had no idea what oh, you were gonna do and okay. you, you didn't know how much i love to chant no and, i don't i didn't know that and i love that we got to honor your dad you know to close mm -hmm. the ceremony circle with honoring him yes and, yes and the practices yeah 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 oh. Thank you. Well, thank you for invoking all of this. <sighs> beautiful space, beautiful energy, amazing conversations. Mm, you're welcome, my honor. And I, of course, will put all your information in the show notes, but where can people most easily find you and all of your magic? Oh, absolutely. Just at Neetha Bushin, mm. at Neetha Bushin on Instagram. Okay. That's where I hang out the most. All right. Thank you for your willingness to, you know, yeah we went there today we did. it's a big story a big journey Ooh. and covered a lot of really medicinal ground so thank you so much mm -hmm. and yes it was medicinal so thank you Allison. Mm -hmm. such an honor to serve uh, all right ceremony circle fam thank you so much for sitting with us we felt your energy we felt your presence and we will see you next time Woo! What a powerful voyage that was. It is 
just my greatest honor. It brings me so much joy and activates and lights up my soul to be able to sit with these incredible embodied, true spiritual masters and leaders from all over the world. I ask that you please, if you feel called, continue to support them and their work in whatever way that feels aligned for you. Please go to my website where all the show notes are listed, www.alisoncharles.com. That's www.alisoncharles.com so that you can access their direct links to their website and social media platforms and additional information about them. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle so unique is that at the end of every single episode, as you just experienced, we immerse in a powerful ceremony, ritual, invocation, prayer, spiritual song, some sort of activation that the guest feels called to offer on that day. So listen to your intuition. If at any point moving forward, you feel called to come back and re-immerse in this guided ceremonial experience, do so. Because I guarantee every single time you experience it, you will receive a new medicine transmission, a new awareness, a new awakening aspect within your soul. It has been an honor voyaging with you Please keep the Ceremony Circle community vibes growing and activating. Find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how you are creating your own sacred Ceremony Circle space. Tag those in your soul fam who are immersing in the Ceremony Circle episodes and experiences with you. And let's unite in the next episode coming out next week so we can continue to activate the consciousness energies of planet Earth and the universes. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.